0: I think we're just going to talk tonight about something very foundational, but something that's huge in our life, and that's the name of Jesus. I want you to remember and recall that, that a name is, has changed meaning for us. When we, when we think of names today, names mean how someone's going to know when we're talking to them. That's basically what a name means now. That's what it means to us now is just, you know, we've come to, come to the point where we name somebody something that sounds nice. Uh, we used to have a, a book when I used to work in the book uh, business. We, there was a book on the shelf that, uh, you know, you had different baby name books, and some baby name books were about, uh, you know, what they meant and, and uh, you know, where they came from, the origin, and, and then there was a, a baby name book where it wasn't organized alphabetically. It was organized by what they rhyme with, by sound. And what was funny to me about that was that we've kind of entered a time in our culture where people name their kids based on what it sounds like, you know. And uh, this is a cool sounding name, so that's what we're going to do. And I realized that, that uh, thank God, when we got born again, we were given a new name. And uh, you're not bound to the name your parents gave you. If your parents gave you a terrible name, that's okay. God gave you a new name, and he gave you his name. But we have to in order to understand what we mean when we talk about the name of Jesus, you have to understand what a name means and what it meant in in Bible times. A name was not just simply how you knew when someone was talking to you. a name carried a lot of things, and when we talked about a name, a name could mean uh, your reputation a name could mean um, it, it could mean something that that you know that your parents had had hoped for you or had thought about you but even bigger than that, name also meant authority. it meant something you carried with you. That's why in the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, it talks about he who overcomes I will, I'll give him a name that no one knows. I'll show him my name and, and we hear about Jesus getting this new name. you know when you read in Philippians two, it says when he humbled himself that God bestowed on him a name, that when he went bestowed on it, it says he, he humbled himself took on the form of a bond servant even to the point of death on the cross and it says that you know he died on the cross for us but he was also raised and for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him a name so if god had to give jesus a name do you think he's got a do you think you call him something other than jesus no we still call him jesus But that name carries a new meaning. It carries new authority because of His resurrected power. Because He made a show of those enemy powers openly. Because God has highly exalted Him. Because that name is now above every name. So a name is not just what you call somebody. It carries something with it. It carries reputation. It carries authority. It carries power. And that's why it's so important that when we read the Bible and He says, all of these things you will do in My name, what that means, just to boil it out into our basic English, is that He gave you power of, et- of attorney on this earth. That you are His representatives on this earth. That you walk as He walked. And that you're expected to pray as He prayed. And, and you're not uh, merely some little midget that walks around and maybe He'll be nice to you one day. and Maybe He'll be mean to you another day. But rather, that we walk with the same authority that He walked. Not because you earned that authority, but because He earned that authority. And because He earned that authority, we've been called the body of Christ. In fact, you know what, let's go back to Ephesians and let's just read it. Because you can hear me ramble on all night, but I believe the Word is what has the power to bring faith. And and when you read it and are reminded of it, then, of course, God does some great things in us. It says this in verse 15 of chapter 1. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So his prayer, now realize, this is Scripture we're reading. So the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. So when Paul prayed this prayer, it was not Paul's opinion. This was God's desire for you. And God's desire for you is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What does that mean to you? that means that you begin to see things in here through your spirit that you haven't been able to see with your eyes. That you'd see what God sees. That you'd see what He wants you to see instead of all the obvious stuff around you. It says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. We talk a lot about our calling. but You know, we don't have our own calling. We have His calling. There is different different areas that you may be uh, put into that fit into that calling different gifts different places in the body but we are called to his calling we've inherited his calling and it says what the hope is of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints just think of that sentence god wants you to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and we come up to a higher level and realize that when we read. When we read riches, we're not thinking about just little paper money. We're not talking about gold or silver. There's something far more rich than that. And these are the spiritual things that Jesus Christ has poured out on you. The things that He died to give you. That there are riches of the glory of His inheritance in us. His inheritance is contained in the saints. And it says this, And what is the surpassing Greatness, surpassing greatness. It's like greatness once again. Just like we read before, greatness is not big enough of a word. We're talking about surpassing greatness, like way more than you than you need, way more than you could ask for. Surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. So, what's the qualification here? Us who believe. When you believe then there is power directed toward you, in you, and through you. It says, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. So if anything's got a name, Jesus is seated high above it. If there's any power, Jesus is high above it. If there's anything that has ever threatened the body of Christ, it really has never been a threat because Jesus is high above it. He's been seated high above all these things, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only, wow, this is a big thought, but not only in this age, but in the age to come. And it says this, And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we've said this, a couple weeks ago we actually read this, but it's just good to be stirred up by remembering and reminder. So here's what he's saying. Every single thing, every power, every dominion, every authority, everything is under his feet. He has power over everything. And He's the head of the church. It says, which is His body. It doesn't just say we're His body. It says we're the fullness of Him who fills all in all. In Colossians, it says that all the fullness of God, all the fullness of the Godhead, dwelled in Christ in bodily form. So that means everything God was, every single thing about God, dwelled in Jesus Christ in bodily form. He was not just a slice of God. Right? Remember we said this a a few months ago, but when He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He doesn't say, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father's nice side. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father's good side. If you've seen Me, you've seen the human side of the Father. What does He say? If you've seen Me, you have seen the Father. The Bible says He is the express image. means exactly. Not a cheap replica, not even a good replica. He is the express image of the invisible God. John says, no one has seen Him, but Jesus has showed Him to us. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So there's not a part of God or a side of God that was not exhibited through Jesus Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in bodily form in Jesus Christ. That's not me. That's the scripture. So if all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Jesus Christ in bodily form, then it kind of gets cool in the next verse when he says, and in Him you have been made full. In Him, so he says, He's full of everything God is. And in Him, you have been made full. he repeats it here in ephesians he says the church is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all of course we know the feet are part of the body feet aren't separate from the body if everything that jesus conquered through his death and resurrection is under his feet where the body that means they're under us too thank god for that so that's kind of big Because that means when I say I'm being attacked, that that does not mean I have to be in a perpetual fight for the rest of my life with the same things. Now the Bible says we will wrestle. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of the age. While you're on the earth, you will always be fighting. But you're not going to have, I mean, you're going to win here. You have authority here. You don't have to get beat up all the time. We are not Christians that get beat up all the time. We are Christians that walk as Jesus' representatives on the earth. And if He's our example, and I dare you to find a Christian who won't admit that Jesus is our example. If He's our example and He, said, greater, he says, the works that I do, you'll do. And greater works, you'll do. If He says in Mark 16, in my name you'll do everything that I did. And He names it out one by one then we have to just, we just have to have come to the point that, that we look in the Scripture and we can't find Jesus getting beat up all His life. And can't see Him losing some and winning some. You don't see Him just saying, well, boys, we tried. And that's all we can do. That's all God asks of us is just to try. In fact, just to be sure that you'd never think Jesus was defeated when they came to get Him in the garden, lest anybody ever say, well, He was defeated at the end, They came to arrest him. They said, where's Jesus Christ? Which one of you is Jesus Christ? He goes, I am he. And they all fall on the ground. They get back up and are stupid enough to ask the same question. He goes, I am. And boom, they fall down again. And he says, I just want you to know, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. If I wanted to, I could bring a legion of angels and whip all you. But I want to lay my life down for you so that none of us would ever be able to say well there was that one battle he lost he did I mean he wasn't able to stop them from arresting him he could have he just said I want to go to the cross it's part of the the Father's plan and the Bible says in Isaiah it was his good pleasure to crush him for us not because God didn't love Jesus but because God loved you so here's the deal when we hear that, we don't see Jesus getting beat up left and right and, and losing some and winning some. And there is, a, there is a case where the disciples did. Remember that? And the disciples have been casting out evil spirits and they've been seeing people healed. And then, and then somebody comes and says, I brought my kid, your disciples, and they weren't able to cast the evil spirit out. Jesus doesn't go, well, that's all right. I mean, They tried. What more can you ask? He says he rebukes them for the littleness of their faith we always like, I thought Jesus was nicer than that. Well, He was nice. That was love. You know, to be rebuked is not lack of love. It's, it's a demonstration of love. He loved them enough to say, you could have cast this thing out. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to pray and fast. Why? Is it because, does He mean uh, you need to pray and fast? When they, when they bring that kid to you, you say, I'll be back in a few days. I'm going to pray and fast. Well, that's not what Jesus did, is it? No, but he had spent the time praying and fasting so he was built up in the faith so that he wasn't going to be beaten down by this. And so listen, what I say all that to say this? You are not defeated Christians. You're not meant to be defeated Christians. And you're not meant to constantly be beaten up by the same thing after the same thing. You're meant to win. And yes, you will fight battles for the rest of your life, but you're meant to win all those battles. I believe you've got the name of Jesus. The name that's above every name. And if you recall what Jesus did to those evil spirits and those principalities and powers, remember that he says our battle is not with flesh and blood. I know I'm quoting a lot of scriptures without turning to them, but that's because we've got a lot to do tonight. <laughs> I trust you'll look these things up on your own and you'll, you'll see it. But he says that, uh, the Apostle Paul said, our battle's not, our fight's not with flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Those are, those are what we're wrestling against. We wrestle with these things. But look, here's what Jesus also did. And in fact, let's turn to Colossians because I think it would be better if you just see it for yourself. Thank God. We're going to read in Colossians 2, verse 9. We already quoted this, but like I said, I think it would be better for you to see it. For in Him, who's Him? Jesus. Okay, so in Him, all the fullness of deity, that's everything God is, dwells in bodily form. And in Him, Jesus, you. Now, who's you? That's all of us, right? When He wrote this letter, He wasn't writing it to a secret council of super-Christians. He wasn't writing this to just apostles. He wasn't writing this to just the twelve. He wrote this to a normal church of people that happened to live in a city called Colossae. No different than you. No better than you. In fact, you probably know more than they knew. (laughs) He says, and in him you have been made complete. Now, my Bible tricks me. It says all the fullness of him All the fullness of God dwelled in Him. And it says, in Him you've been made complete. And that kind of tricks me because when we look up this word complete, it's the same, it comes from the same root that that He used when He said, all the fullness of God dwelled in Him. It's the word full. Complete is cool, but full is better, (laughs) in my opinion. And in fact, you might see that in the column of your Bible. You might see it in the center column. It goes literally full. I wish sometimes when it says literally, it would just put the literal word in there. But, you know... We bear with our translations. anyway. So he says, All the fullness of God dwelled in Him, and in Him you have been made full. And it says, And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us so that means all the things that we had done to break the law all, all, the, all the guilt that was on us all, the, all the, the record, our criminal record that was testifying against us he nailed to the cross having taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities so what are we wrestling against? principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world That's what we're wrestling against. Now look what he said. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. You have to realize this is not a fair fight. Nor was it ever supposed to be a fair fight. We talk sometimes in these, oh, I'm under attack, I'm under a battle, oh, it's a battle, but I'm still fighting. As if we're fighting our equals. You are fighting a naked, unarmed foe. The only time he has any power is when you don't realize what power you have in the name of Jesus. Because they were disarmed by Jesus. They were disarmed by Him and His authority. And so as long as we stand in His authority, in His name, they're disarmed. They've got no power in our life. You're going to wrestle with them. But you're going to win. He says, when He had disarmed the rulers and authority, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. The word triumph, as most of you know, is not just a triumph like we would use it now. We've, we've won. He's making a specific reference to a specific Roman custom. When he says he made a public display, since there's no kids in the room, let's be honest of what that meant. In Roman history, when, some, when a general would have a great victory, for instance, when Julius Caesar went to Gaul and uh, conquered the Gauls, he came back, many generals at this point would have a triumph. Of course, Julius Caesar wanted a little bit more than that, and that's another story. But many, many generals would come back and they'd be given a triumph. And that was the, one of the highest honors you could get. And you'd walk through the streets of Rome and there'd be incense and there'd be people waving branches and there'd be a, there'd be a great parade in your honor and your men would, would march behind you as you rode through the city. There'd be sacrifices made to the gods on your behalf. But here's the deal. Here's what he's alluding to. If you brought back enemy soldiers that you'd been fighting against all that time, It was often Roman custom to completely strip them naked and march them through the streets naked, showing that they had no power humiliating them. And here's what he says. He stripped them. That word disarmed basically means he stripped them of their weapons, of their clothes, of everything. Now, realize, we're talking about spirits, so don't read too much into that. It's like, well, they were embarrassed because they were naked. No, they were humiliated because they had no power. He stripped them and marched them in parade, showing them openly that they had no more power. The only reason they have any power in the world is the same reason that the devil had any power in the world is because man gave him that power. But in the church, we are not meant to be dominated by a defeated force. When I first met my wife's parents... I loved i it was so much fun I mean when i first uh, I phoned her father to ask permission to to begin a relationship with her and and uh I actually flew down to spokane to meet with him before we even started uh seeing each other and um and the coolest thing was the first thing I got was her mom on the phone, and her mom, if you 've ever met tia 's mom, is a wonderful lady full of faith and just always pretty much happy and uh she I mean, she's just one of those people that's just very encouraging and always encourages the people around her. But they came from a, a church when they first got born again that had told them not, not, to really, not to really listen to these people that say you could be healed. And, of course, Tia's father had hepatitis C, incurable. <clears throat> had hepatitis C because in his old life, before he got born again, he, he had contracted that. And her mother had uh, chemical sensitivity, and correct me if I'm missing anything to you, but chemical sensitivity to the point where if she went in public and any, any, any smells from shampoos or perfumes or any chemical would cause such pain that she'd want to scream and she'd have to run out. And uh, because of this, I mean, they were in a church that said, you know what, don't listen. Don't you listen to that preacher that tells you. That everybody can be healed. They, they, they kind of threw out the, well, God could heal you if you wanted to. That They gave you that line. Which basically means don't expect anything. And when you pray, don't pray in faith. Just kind of, you know, throw it out there. If God wants to, He will. That kind of thought. So, with that kind of teaching, they didn't get healed. Uh, but she turned on the TV and there was a man preaching that that she was told not to listen to. <laughs> and she would turn them off, right, to you? She'd turn them off because she wasn't supposed to listen to this guy, but she couldn't go to church because of this chemical sensitivity. And you know, you don't realize how many scents are out there until you, you have a problem like this, and then you realize everybody's wearing perfume, and there's all this stuff. Even if you're not wearing perfume, there's moisturizers and lotions. And she couldn't even go to church. So she. <laughs> want to get the Word in her, so she's listening. She's walk, watching, trying to find some good teaching on a Sunday morning, and she gets back to this, this this guy again, and she's not supposed to listen to this guy. But she finally was curious enough, and she got on and realized he just keeps reading the Scriptures. That's all he's doing. He's just preaching the Word. He's not really preaching any opinion. He's just opening the Bible and says, this is what the Bible says. She goes, how can we really be mad at that? So she becomes convinced that God wants to heal her. And she gets healed. (laughs) Completely healed, and she has never struggled with that since. David, Tia's father, was healed completely and totally from hepatitis C. No trace of it in his body. He's been free from it for many years, hey Tia, since you were a little girl. Tia was lactose intolerant. And because all of a sudden her family starts believing this little kids that get introduced to the word of god are some of the most full of faith she just believes well, I don't I'm going to have I'm going to have I'm going to have some milk at school she has milk at school she comes home she eats fettuccine alfredo and she's good there were some other miracles that I'm sure you can ask Tia. But in that period of time, there were a bunch of things that went on in her life. She had some things, some skin issues that the doctor said, there's nothing we can do about. And she said, well, we don't accept that. She's just a little girl and just says, doctor's wrong, God's right. And they go away. And so, anyways, I said that all to say this, that when I talked to Sherry, her tia's mother sherry always says we were defeated christians that was the word she used we were defeated christians we're going to heaven thank god we've had the victory enough to go to heaven but we were defeated in every other way and uh, i thought that that stuck with me ever since because i realized that god has never created us to be defeated christians We have victory through Him. The Bible says in 1 John 5 that this is the victory that overcomes the world. It says everything that is born of God, everyone born of God and everything born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. The Bible says that through Him we overwhelmingly conquer. Even when there's persecution, famine, distress, all of these things, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. So, we've got to realize that we're not meant to be defeated, and we've been given a name above every name. Let's read a, uh, I want to read a couple places, and then I want to spend some time in the book of Acts. In Matthew chapter 18, what did, uh, what did Jesus say in Mark 16? Can I read that to you while you're turning? He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. And he's talking about the ones that have believed. when you go into the world and preach the gospel, people will believe, and these signs will accompany all of those who believed. you and everyone who believes when you preach to them. It says, "In my name, in my name, as my representatives, with my authority, they will cast out demons." They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. There's no mites, there's no maybes. He's very clear about this. I believe we need to take Jesus at His word. I believe we need to get to the point where it doesn't matter what we've seen, what our experiences were, what happened to Grandma, we've just got to believe Jesus. Because if we're not believing Jesus, what business do we have preaching any of this stuff? Matthew 18, verse 19. He says, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything. Did you hear that? If you agree where? On earth. So this is not in the sweet by and by. On earth about anything that they may ask. Anything that they may ask. It shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Why? Because th- he's not done with this thought. We should stop cutting Jesus off in the middle of his sentences. He finishes this. He says, four. When Jesus says, four, he's saying, here's why you can believe that. For, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is why they can say, whatever we agree on and we ask, we have it. Because he says, if you've gathered in my name, I'm right there in the middle of you. Now we've used that verse to talk about church services, and that's cool, that's still true. But in this context, he's not talking about church services, he's talking about when any of you grab hands with another believer, he's right there in your midst. What's he there to do? The Bible says he's our high priest. He represents us to God. He has left us on the earth to represent him to the people. He's left us on earth to be His representatives, His ambassadors, as 1 Corinthians 5 says. Second Corinthians 5, sorry. His ambassadors, His representatives on the earth. He's gave us His name. That's what it means to carry His name. It means you have power of eternity, that you're there. I keep saying eternity, attorney. That you have His name, you walk with it, you're His representatives, but He's our representative to the Father. And so if He's there and we're praying in His name, then that means when that prayer goes to the Father, it goes through Jesus Christ. It's as if He prayed it. Did Jesus get His prayers answered? Yes, He did. Let's look in the book of Acts. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter... Should we go to 4? Well, let's, let's start in 3. This is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Now, Peter and John. This is Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. The hour of prayer. I love that, the hour of prayer. huh? And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. So he's been lame since his mother's womb. He's not faking it, is he? <laughs> they might be saying, oh, Peter and John, they set this up. No, they didn't. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. That means just money, spare change, whatever. It says, but Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. I don't have it on me. It doesn't mean he didn't have any at home, but I don't have any with me. I don't have anything to give you as far as silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. I want you to hear that. I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this is big. Peter doesn't say, what I know, I'll share with you. He didn't say, I know someone who does have something. That sounds holy, doesn't it? Well, I may not have anything for you, but I know someone who does. Peter realized something that's even bigger than that. When Jesus left this earth and went to be with the Father, now He didn't leave the earth, He left His Spirit. When His body left this earth, He left His Spirit with us, and He left us with His name. And He gave us the express command to use that name to cast out evil spirits, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to preach the gospel with power. And Peter says, he doesn't say, I know someone who has something. I know the God who has what you need. He says, what I have, what I have, I give to you. This is somebody who knows who he is in Christ. Who knows what the name of Jesus, I've been given His name. I've been given His authority. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. If Peter went rogue and was, not, was doing this to exalt Peter and was doing this to show how big Peter was, there'd be no power in it. But Peter is here as a representative of Jesus Christ. He stands as a branch on the vine and he says, What I have, I give to you. When Jesus sent out the disciples, even before He gave them His Spirit, even before he told them, I'm giving you my name. He did give them his name to go and use on this uh, brief test mission trip. I don't know what you'd call it. But he was training them. This is what it's going to be like when I go. And he sent them out. Remember, he sent them out to, to preach the kingdom, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. What does he say? Freely you have received. Now freely Can I tell you that until you realize you've received, you won't be able to give? You have to realize what you've been given when you were given the name of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. If it's all authority, is there anything left? Is there anything he's leaving out? No. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore. Go and make disciples of all creation. So he didn't tell you to go without first saying, all authority has been given to me. Now I give you the authority and go. So Peter says, what I have, I give to you. Now you may think this is arrogant. But I don't think this is arrogant. This is confidence in God. He says, what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. And seizing Him by the right hand, He raised Him up. And immediately, His feet and His ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, He stood up and began to walk. And He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So this is cool. But first, you've got to realize what confidence Peter has. Because if there are things that We've learned by tradition, and you know what? They were probably by brothers and sisters with good intentions. And I make no, I'm not make. I don't have any problem with them. We're not going to say anything wrong because you know what? Maybe they got something you don't have. We're just going to say what does the word say, right? So you don't need just because somebody doesn't have all the truth, you don't need to bash them. You don't need to, to blow their candle out and make yours seem brighter. Let's just honor the word, and, and you know what? They'll come along. But if we let tradition teach us. Then here's what Peter would have done. Peter who has the Spirit of God inside of him. This is why Peter knows what to do. Because he's got the Holy Spirit inside of him. Peter has the Spirit of God. And imagine God said, pray for that man. Tell that man he can get up. Can you imagine Peter being like one of us? And when I mean one of us, I mean like like maybe you were before you really got a revelation of who Jesus was. And you thought, well... I know God wants me to pray for that person, but what if it doesn't happen? I'm going to be embarrassed. And I don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, right here in front of the Orange Julius, I I don't want to be embarrassed. And so you go up, and here's a trick that that Christians use. And I say this because I think I've used it before. Here's a trick. You go up, and you act like you're doing something else. You kind of brush up against them, because God said to you, lay hands on the sick. So you're you're like bumping up against him. He's blind, he doesn't know why you're bumping up against him. Or he's lame, sorry, he's not blind. What Eric, I'm sorry. <laughs> of course you'd rather be called blind than lame, right? Anyways. So he's he's brushing up against him and he kinda kinda acts like, oops, did I bump into you? And and, and quietly under his breath, he says, Lord, just Lord, I want to just pray for this man and pray that he be healed in Jesus' name. And Jesus just um, tell him to just get up and walk in Jesus' name. You walk away. Well, I guess nothing happened. Good thing I played it safe. Well, that's a relief. I would have been embarrassed. Do you know, Jesus always gave a command to the person. He said, rise and be made whole. Be made whole. Stretch out your hand. Because faith is involved on the person. And they've got to believe it and they got to believe enough to act on it faith is action it's not just in your brain it's action as well and so he says rise and be made whole somebody's got to do something and that's what peter said to this man he says get up and you notice peter doesn't pray for him peter didn't say lord jesus this sounds nicer remember what jesus said don't pray like the hypocrites." He says, don't pray like the hypocrites who pray really loud so everybody hears them. And then he says, don't pray like the Gentiles who think, because they used a lot of words, that they'll be heard. You've got to watch that. Sometimes we think, ah, uh, I need all the power I can get. So I should pray longer. <laughs> that guy's full of faith. He can just say two words, but I need to work myself up like we're driving a moped or something i gotta pedal a bit so we were just like oh we start out and we we figure like oh you know what i think god hears me better if i use a southern accent oh thank you lord i'll praise you jesus because you know what texas is closer to heaven apparently so okay <laughs> lord i thank you god i just pray i pray that um, oh lord you see him yeah he sees him thanks for filling that in oh lord you see him you know he's struggling lord oh man Oh, man, he's been lame since his, his mother's womb. Once again, no new information here. <laughs> you, you're lame since his mother's womb. God, God, I, I know that you don't want him to continue to have to be lame. And, and you've got a plan for him. And God, God, he, he probably needs to walk for him to do that. And there's no such thing as wheelchairs yet. So raise him up, Lord, if, if you will, and if you could, and if you can. And I know you can. What am I saying? But God, just in Jesus' name, I just praise you just healed everywhere healed everywhere you know okay cool but that didn't become any more powerful because you use more words and you're kind of draining the whole thing by by not really having faith in God what you're trying to do is you're stalling for something and I'm not sure what you're waiting for but you're stalling for something or maybe you're just saying you know the longer I have my hand on this person the more likely they are to just say okay fine I think I feel something all right Here's what Jesus did. Jesus just said, be whole. Be made whole. And they were. There's a time to pray. Jesus said, everything which you pray and ask, believe you've received. Absolutely. But let's follow his example. When he he, he doesn't, you know, he, he does say with the elders, he says they'll pray, and the prayer of faith will restore the sick. There's a time to pray. But you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you've got to do, Jesus said, I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. We've got to follow that criteria when we pray for people. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. If you don't know what you're supposed to say, stand there and wait until you have your orders. The best, most, I mean, biggest track record preachers I've ever heard from, the ones that, I'm, the ones that are not all flash and just trying to get some attention. I'm talking about the real deal. These guys that are seeing people healed all over the place, you hear them, you listen to them, you say, what do you do differently? They go, I just wait until I hear what God tells me to say and what He tells me to do. Remember when Tracy Harris was here? And there was a lady that, that was struggling with all these things and she'd been fighting all these things. And the Lord told him, clap and hiss. He's like, Lord, please, God, don't do that. I, I don't want to be one of those guys. I don't want to be one of those guys. But he does, so he, he just says, okay, we just got to be surrendered to the will of God, right? So he just, <laughs> and he does it until God tells him to stop. Well, he only looks later, he finds out in the Old Testament prophets that God says, I clapped and hissed at them. Ooh, he didn't even see that, didn't even know it was there. But God gave him instructions, and the person was healed so here's what peter does peter says in the name of jesus christ rise and be made whole and you know what at that point i would just say okay you know it's up to you now i told you what to do you you can do it But peter's bold and peter does something crazy he's so confident that he grabs the man by the hand and he yanks him up and we've talked about this before but for those of you that haven't thought about this he yanks a man whose legs have never worked up. If this man doesn't get healed, this is embarrassing. You just threw a, a floppy Joe across the room, and and he's going to be really mad, and he's going to sue you, because you... I mean, well, you can't sue anybody back then, but everybody's going to think, those Christians are mean. I mean... First, he doesn't give him any money. Then he pulls a prank on him and just like, you know, picks him up and throws him across it. And he just, you know, the guy's going to go, what's the deal, man? But Peter knew that he'd be healed. Yeah. He had so much faith that he grabbed him, yanked him up. And it says, it doesn't say that, that his legs had strength before Peter yanked him up. It says, <laughs> Peter yanks him up and immediately strength healed his legs. And the man stands he doesn't just stand because he's never used his feet before we see this a lot when lame people get made well in the bible they leap up cuz they've never used their legs before so their their brain is telling their legs full force full i mean 100% guys do whatever you can do and he's never stood before so with all his power he leaps up and then get this he's so so happy to have his legs that he goes into the temple We're supposed to be calm and holy. Walking and leaping and praising God. Now, have you ever thought how crazy that looks? The guy is like middle-aged. And he's going into the temple not holy like you're supposed to go in holy. Like, you know, okay, now shut up, guys. shut Shut up, shut up, shut up. Kids, right? And you go into the temple. We're going into the holy place. Don't smile, kids. Stop smiling. Stop laughing, right? This guy is walking, leaping. He's walking. He's jumping around. Can you imagine being the usher at that temple? Oh, boy. Here this guy jumps into the temple and he's praising God with a loud voice. (laughs) See, God's okay with people causing a commotion for the right reasons. There's no reason. I mean, God doesn't want you to just do something so everybody looks at you and draws attention. But you know what? When you're praising God, it's okay to be crazy. It's okay to be loud. It's okay not to be so stinking civilized. That sometimes we just say, "God may not be a civilized God. He's a God of order, but he's not tame." <laughs> like some little house cat that we he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but now and now he just he doesn't scratch the couch anymore. I mean, he's <laughs> He's the lion. And so we read stories about him laughing when he's attacked and when his people are under great attack and they go, God, stop laughing. He laughs. He says, oh, all the nations want to fight with me? <laughs> That's funny. He says he sings over us. says he dances over us. He is not just some starch old boring old man that, that uh, wants us to be starched, old and boring as well. So it's okay to be crazy. It's okay to, to, to give glory to God in an exuberant manner. Amen. There's a difference. Listen, maybe you've asked yourself and, and maybe you've said, I don't want to be that person. I know, in fact, a lot of us have said this at some point. I don't want to be that person that's just trying to get attention. If you're asking that question, you're not trying to get attention. You know what I'm saying? If, if God's told you to jump and spin And you you heard God say, jump and spin. The enemy says, you're just trying to get people to look at you. But most of the time, you know that's not true. There are some people who want people to look at them. They need to stop. But I think most everybody in this room, that's not, I mean, most of you feel the opposite. You think about you. Most of you would say the opposite. I'd rather people not look at me. And so, if God tells me to jump and spin, I'm going to jump and spin. I'm going to give Him glory loudly. Verse 9. And all the people saw Him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of Him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened to Him. And while He was clinging to Peter and John... (laughs) All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we made him walk. Remember, he said, What I have, I give to you. But he says, Listen, it was not our power, and it wasn't our piety. That means God didn't heal this man because we had a better walk than this other guy. God didn't heal this man because we had everything together. It wasn't our personal holiness that got this man healed. Although, guys, we know that when we trust in Jesus, we become holy as He's holy. Your walk changes. Your life changes. And, and so He's not saying we're not pious. He's saying our piety wouldn't have been enough to get this done. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom You delivered and dis- disowned in the presence of Pilate he says in verse 14 but you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murder to be granted to you you put to death the prince of life the one whom God raised from the dead a fact to which we are witnesses and on the basis of faith in his name so that's the basis for a miracle is faith in his what name now why would faith in his name instead of just faith in Jesus why does he say that faith in his name because they were given His name to use. So they put faith in the fact that Jesus had given Him this name to use. And that was their faith wasn't just that Jesus could do it. Their faith was that Jesus told us to do it. So the basis of faith in His name... It is by the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through Him... Has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the name came from Jesus. The faith came from Jesus. And now, brethren, I know you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. <laughs> but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come. From the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Skip to chapter 4 if you would. And as they were speaking to the temple, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. There will always be people like this, that after a miracle are still greatly disturbed. But don't mind them. And they laid hands on them, not in a good way like, we're going to pray for you laid hands on them violently, and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You remember there was 3,000 that got born again on that first sermon on the day of Pentecost? 5,000 people got born again after a man who was crippled began to walk. <laughs> The church is meant to grow fast. Thank God. And we, we know that God is, when He says His church, that means the kingdom. That does not mean just, just well, we're all meant to shuffle around and, 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 and just end up at place to place. That may happen, but, but really what, when we're talking about the church growing, we're talking about people who are lost, being found. We're talking about people, unbelievers starting to believe. And it says many of these had heard the message, believe. They didn't believe. I mean... It wasn't the miracle that got them saved. It was the message of Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, the name that enables us, the name that will enable you to lay hands on the sick is also the name I've given you to preach the gospel. So when you preach, you preach in faith, and I'm preaching in the name of Jesus, as if Jesus were preaching, as it says in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, as though God were making his appeal through us. Praise God. So, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem and Annas the high priest was there and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent when they had placed them in the center they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? If you'll recall those are the exact same questions they asked Jesus and they're going to give the same answer. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man had been made well, let it be known to you, made known to you, and all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but who has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So this name is a name that has enabled them to heal. This name is the name that's enabled them to preach. And this name is the name by which we are saved. And there's no other name to be saved by. So this is a powerful name that He gave us. The name of Jesus. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Jesus said signs will accompany you and in another place it says that these signs and wonders will confirm the word and it confirmed what they were saying that the man standing right next to him what can you say he's right there they should have left it at that but they didn't but when they had ordered them to leave the council they began to confer one another saying what shall we do with these men for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it now he's What they're saying is, if not everybody in Jerusalem already knew, we would try to deny it, but we can't. Shucks. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, because we'd hate for healings to be breaking out all over the city. We'd hate for lame people to get up and blind people to see. Boy, that would be terrible. But so that it doesn't spread any further, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. As if that's going to work. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. That's a bit of a burn. That's, a, that's pretty much a self-answered statement. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Praise God. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which which to punish them. The guy got healed on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. So if the people hadn't been around, they would have punished them. But the people were so loud, glorifying God, that they had no choice. They let him go. For the man was more than 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And when they'd been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they'd heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said... O Lord, it is You who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, Your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers. So we've got kings, but we've also got rulers. What does that mean? You remember when Daniel prayed, there was kings over nations, but there were also rulers or princes over nations. Prince of Greece, prince of Persia. These are demonic and, and, and spirits in the heavenly realm that are influencing these nations, influencing the rulers. It says, The kings and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord... So what did, what did His uh, purpose predestined to occur? What are they referring to? That was Jesus being crucified. So don't go and think, well, every time they attack us, God wanted them to attack us. He's talking specifically about when Jesus laid down His life and let them take Him prisoner and let them nail Him to a cross. And He says this, And now, Lord, take note of their threats... And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And you know as well as I do if you read the rest of the book that God answered that prayer completely and that signs and wonders took place through the name. Now realize if God is doing these miracles through His name that means something. That means He's doing it through His representatives because His name was given to you to use. Peter and John Did not simply brush by, and the man, you know, God said, "All right, fine. I I guess that. I I guess I. I guess I, I. That guy suffered enough. Let him be healed." Peter and John had to act on something. They had to do something. They had to say something. We can't go the rest of our lives being quiet can't go the rest of your lives keeping your mouth shut every time you're attacked and thinking that just when when you've stood long enough that it'll all just be over you have been given the name of jesus use the name of jesus speak with the name of jesus don't just let yourself be defeated when he has already stripped them of their power open your mouth and like we said before don't keep talking about all these problems. Don't keep talking about the sickness. Don't keep talking about all the attacks. Once you've brought it to the Lord, it's been talked about enough. Amen. Come on. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Because God says that was the problem with the Israelites. Yeah. They whined, they complained, they grumbled. And in doing so, they showed their lack of faith in God. You've got to, if you actually believe, when I prayed, God answered. Then finish it. It's done. I prayed. If you keep praying and keep asking the same thing over and over again, there's a problem because you're saying, I don't think it worked the first time so I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. You need to ask once. And then you begin to thank and praise God. Stand in faith. Say what He says. Say, it was finished when I prayed. It was answered when I prayed. The check was given to me when I prayed. I haven't cashed it yet, but I know it's mine and I know I have it. I know He's good for it, so I believe it. We pray... We believe it's done. We move on. We praise God for it. If you have not, if you say, I still feel like I felt before, then praise God. Thank God. Give him glory. And begin to just say what he says about the situation. Say what he says. You know, he called Abraham a father long before Isaac showed up. He changed his name to Father. You will be called Father of many nations. A Father of many nations. He says, I have made you. So Abraham goes around, and guess what? When he introduces himself to people, he says, Hi, my name is Exalted Father, which is what Abraham means. My name is Exalted Father. I'm sure he looks stupid to some people. He did not have any kids. <laughs> Exalted Father. <laughs> Exalted Father. Call me Daddy. <laughs> but God said it. You know, you'll probably look stupid to other people telling them what God's already promised to you, and people look and go, "Uh, oh, doesn't look like that's happening." Hi, right. you you look you look real bad today. You look sick. Well, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm not denying that there's symptoms. I'm I'm not trying to be a some Scientologist that just says it's not it's not there. I can I can imagine that it's gone. No, I mean you still have symptoms. I get that, but we're talking about it. Say what God says. I'm healed. Because that's true too that's more true I'm healed. you don't have to say my my arm's not my arm's broken no it's not but you say my arm's healed yes. you don't have to deny the facts but you hold to the greater fact yes. I'm healed. I win. you seem to be going through a battle. oh I won that battle Really you seem to still be going through it that's already won It's already won. thank God, praise God in fact, if you just join me for a minute. Friend, uh, since you brought it up, let's just praise God together for what he did. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank God. Oh, man, I know I won that battle. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the victory. Hey, he gave you the victory, too. Why don't we just praise God? Hey, why don't we jump a little bit? And the guy's like, oh, you will see you later. I'm not jumping with you, all right? That's crazy stuff. Be crazy. It's cool to be crazy. Just be full of faith. That's not crazy to God. God says what the world calls foolishness, I call wisdom, and what... I call wisdom, the world calls foolishness. So get used to being different. It's cool, it's all right, it's good. You're different. You're meant to be different. Just be full of faith. What would you rather do, fit in or win? Would you rather fit in or have victory? Would you rather fit in with God or fit in with people? You know, the sad thing is that when Jesus preached, many of the chiefs, the rulers of the synagogues, Those are the pastors, basically, of their little synagogues. Many of the rulers of the synagogues believed, but they did not confess Jesus because they were afraid of what people would do and afraid that their jobs would get taken away. And it says there in the scripture, because they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. Can we make the decision tonight, as we close, can we make the decision tonight that we love the approval of God more than men? would you rather have would you rather keep fighting this for the rest of your life and have people think well you're a normal guy at least you at least you're like me would you rather be called weird by a few people and win and be the kind of person like the believers in the book of acts that were considered to be odd or even threats but they carried out the will of god and the purpose of god in their generation. I'm going to end this with a story if I could. Smith Wigglesworth. This is a book called The Name of Jesus. It's a good book. Smith Wigglesworth was praying for a man who was a preacher. The man's name was Lazarus. He had been a leader in his in his church. Working in the Ten Mines days and preaching nights until he broke down physically and collapsed. Tuberculosis set in. He lay bedfast and helpless for six years. God spoke to Smith Wigglesworth and told him to go raise up Lazarus. Well, that sounds fun, (laughs) It doesn't Go raise up Lazarus, okay. When Smith walked into the room, Lazarus looked like a skeleton with skin stretched over it. Wigglesworth endeavored to get him to release his faith, to believe God. But he was bitter. Others had prayed for him. He thought God should have healed him. After all, he'd given his life to him, working days and preaching nights. Undaunted, Wigglesworth said to the people he was staying with, could we get seven people to pray with me for this man's deliverance? So seven people, plus Wigglesworth, went into the room where Lazarus lay on the verge of death. The eight believers circled the bed holding hands. One brother took one of Lazarus' hands. Wigglesworth took the other to include him in the circle. Then Wigglesworth said, we're not going to pray. We're just going to use the name of Jesus. They all knelt and whispered that one word, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The power of God fell and then it lifted Five times it fell and lifted as that little group spoke that magnificent name. The man in the bed was unmoved. The sixth time the power of God came down on that man, it remained. The power of God is here, Wigglesworth told him. It's yours to accept. The man's lips began to move. He made a confession. He said, I've been bitter in my heart and I know I've grieved the Spirit of God. I'm helpless. I cannot lift my hands nor even lift a spoon to my mouth. Wigglesworth said, repent and God will hear you. He repented and cried out, oh God, let this be to your glory. When he said that, the power of God went through him. Wigglesworth said, as we said again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The bed shook and the man shook. I said to the people who were with me, you can all go downstairs right away and we will follow. This is all God. I'm not going to assist him. I sat and watched that man get up and dress himself. We sang the doxologies. he walked down the steps. I said to him, now tell what has happened. It was soon noised abroad that Lazarus had been raised up. And the people came from all the district round to see him and hear his testimony. And God brought salvation to many. Isn't that awesome? You know, God will give you the word to say. In this instance, God just said, say my name. Just say Jesus. And they were faithful to restrain themselves to just do what Jesus said. He didn't say, say this, say that. You just said, just say Jesus. And as they did, there was such power in the name of Jesus. Now the name of Jesus is not an abracadabra word. If a parrot says the name of Jesus, there's no power in it. It's not merely those syllables that have power, for even the name of Jesus is pronounced differently in different nations. It's a believer who knows what's behind that name and stands in that name and says it in faith, knowing what's behind that name that has power. It's not a magic word that just is like open sesame. It is a word. It is a name that it's really about what's behind the name that carries the power. When you get into the word, and I encourage you to do it, get into the word and study what that means, and you're gonna carry that.